One that I learned along the way was really that I needed to be the expert on whatever I was in charge of or working on. I think when I first started out as an architect, like you don't know much, right? You're an intern, you want to soak in as much as possible, but then you can't really stay in that place where you're expecting to learn from others. You have to take ownership of what you are in charge of and become the expert on it. Just because people have more experience than you doesn't necessarily mean that they know more than you or that they can see something that maybe you caught. So I think really owning that helped me get really far in my career. And then also one piece of advice that like, it just, it's not part of what I think about in the forefront, but if you can help your manager or those that you work with, if you make their life easier, like all the better for the work environment and yourself. So I think that's another way of taking ownership. Welcome to our Roundtable Chats, a fast-paced discussion series dedicated to opening up the conversation in the architecture and engineering industry. We want you to join in the conversation each week where we share what inspires us, what we want to improve in the industry, and how we can help each other get there. This is a new event, and we'll be joined weekly by members of the Monograph growth team here. Everyone on the roundtable today studied and practiced in the industry, so we're very aware of the pain points and stressors that come with working in the industry. Today, we're going to be discussing owning your career path. And this is a follow-on from last week's conversation where we talked a little bit about uh, leadership. And in part of that conversation, we also talked about ownership, which is basically, I think, the idea that everyone can be a leader. The title doesn't make you a leader things like that. So I'd love to start off with uh, just Sylvia. What is the best career advice you've received or learned along the way that made you think about ownership and owning your own kind of destiny in some sense? I think two pieces of advice. One that I learned along the way was really that I needed to be the expert on whatever I was in charge of or working on I think when I first started out as an architect, like you don't know much, right? You're an intern, you want to soak in as much as possible, but then you can't really stay in that place where you're expecting to learn from others. You have to take ownership of what you are in charge of and become the expert on it. Just because people have more experience than you doesn't necessarily mean that they know more than you or that they can see something that maybe you caught. So I think really owning that helped me get really far in my career. And then also, one piece of advice that like it just it's not part of what I think about in the forefront but if you can help your manager or those that you work with if you make their life easier like all the better for the work environment and yourself so I think that's another way of taking ownership what about you I think there were it was more about the environment that I was there are moments in which I was absorbing information from other folks within mostly the tech industry Along the way, I guess, in my education, I've had people that were, you know, I can think actually of one person like David Benjamin. When I was doing the accreditation at at GSAP, it was quite an experience where I really learned about delegation. Essentially, it was very clear that I could not do everything myself, right? And you kind of default sometimes to that mode of like, well, I know how to do certain things, so let me just do it, right? But you might not be the best person maybe for that, to do that, right? You're not the most talented person necessarily for that thing, or it just doesn't make any sense with the time that you have, right? And so the idea of like 
depending on others and just being much better at delegating workout was really learned almost like trial by fire during that experience. For those that are not familiar with like accreditation, you're basically collecting a lot of the student work. There's kind of different phases, putting together a report, a huge report, and you are all through like collecting, right? You're, you're kind of just a router and a condenser. And then at some point you have to put together a kind of exhibition in some sense of student work. And so just because of the nature of doing it in a place where you didn't have a lot of dedicated resources, it was a lot of just like pulling in people, asking students for help at that time, obviously all paid, but at the, it was very like ad hoc. So like delegation was critical and that, that idea of like, first of all, owning it, right. Owning the fact that it's my responsibility, but then also figuring it out through delegation is something that has really stuck with me over time and has been super helpful. Just having that mindset from the beginning, the idea is that if you want to accomplish great things, you have to rely on a team. And so you have to be a great facilitator for other teams work. And I think that's, you know, to your point earlier about like helping other people accomplish what they need to accomplish. Like that is so much of what leadership is in a sense, or it's, providing clarity, providing answers, and being very, very repetitive. So that's like one thing that I've learned along the way. Yeah. I'm curious, by the way, like for those in the audience, like feel free to chime in, raise your hand. We'll bring you up if you have any any experiences that you want to talk about too around like career advice that really impacted you. Always happy to bring you on. So feel free to raise your hand for any of these questions. So any other kind of experience to help to kind of shape your journey along the way? I like what you were saying about collaboration and delegation, because I feel like when you're in school, like you don't really, your projects are your own, right? You don't have to collaborate with other people, generally speaking. Like maybe you have to split up the work if you're in a group project, but you don't have to share ideas. And then I think when you go into practice, like everything is collaboration, right? You can't, there's no way you can do a project yourself or you will immediately burn out. And I think you miss a lot of things when you're stuck in like working on a computer and not talking to anybody. I think the way I work best is when I can kind of just like shoot ideas around or like even how we're going to tackle this project. And that way, like if you can like kind of get that peer review, it's really helpful. So like, how do you, in your experience, move from working, like, I'm just going to do it all. Like, this is my list. And like, this is what I have to run through, through to like a position where you're working with other people, delegating, but also producing work. I feel like I struggle with that sometimes. I'm still trying to find like the sweet spot where like it it all works well together. That's a challenge. And depending on like how fast you want to spin something up, that's another kind of variable. I found that really starting with a document that outlines the goals is helpful to frame what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Or at least, and it doesn't have to be extensive. It's just kind of like reminding yourself, okay, what needs to be the why, right? And then you can use that why to then bring other people along to accomplish that why. So as an example, we work, the project that I was, I was brought on to, for, for just for context, uh, when I was at WeWork, I was brought on specifically to, to spin up this new initiative, which was to open up new storefront locations that were meant to pre-sell new buildings in new markets. The idea being, and the goal being that every new market, basically you could imagine had no brand awareness. And by market, that could be a new city, right? You could 
WeWork could have been opened in a bunch of cities in the U.S., but if they open in Indianapolis, nobody in Indianapolis knows what WeWork is. Only a very small group of people do. And so to fill up a building with 80% occupancy, you have to then be try to be creative. And so this was one of the creative initiatives to try to get there, which was to open up a little storefront showroom that can give you the look and feel of what a WeWork was going to look like. Very similar to my experience at the, during the accreditation, it's kind of airdropped with no, I had partners on the marketing team, but no dedicated resources. Let's say like there wasn't a design team assigned to me initially. And you basically have to kind of like internalize as much information about the company as possible to start. So basically like, what are the resources that could be available if we were to ask the right people, right? So like leaders at other teams and like ask if they have resources, but what does that first look like? Cause you don't want to go in blind in some sense about what's available. So you want to like find out as much about internal documentation that exists as in this example within a company, but that led to finding, okay, like, all right, I know I can have, there's design teams in the US, in Europe. And by the way, this was all around the world, right? So you had to kind of like figure out what teams were available to you around there. And then the first thing I did was build a deck that outlined the vision of what this was going to be. Because I have a background in architecture, I could basically develop the concept design or like the layout diagrammatically of what these showrooms were going to have, the journey basically. Using some marketing background, I was able to create slides with the marketing partner, Alexa, who was amazing, and work together to figure out what the marketing was going to be. The idea here was like how to do as much work up front so that when you bring this to other people, you've answered as many questions as possible. Again, going back to your previous point, how, do you, how can you do as much high impact work that will remove barriers for people? And a lot of times those barriers are actually psychological. They're more about like, who are you? Why are you bringing me this? You know, especially when you're working internally with other team members who don't owe you anything, they don't report to you or anything. You have to really, that's where you have to even do more work in order to be like, hey, look, I'm with you. I understand this might not be part of your day-to-day. You're not responsible for this the same way that I am. But at the same time, look, I've done a lot of work here and just I just need you to work with me to accomplish things. And it wasn't that things were... It wasn't that it was a contentious environment at all. Everyone's super like game to do these type of projects, especially special ones. It was more that like I knew that I had to offer something. And I think that idea of offering something in exchange for a partnership is a, a really helpful way to think about collaboration and how you work with other people, right? How do you become a leader is really by doing some of the entrenched in the trenches work to gain let's say trust and some respect maybe so that other people are kind of bought in. Okay. Like, all right, cool. Like, Oh, this is an interesting deck. Like I see the vision of what you're trying to accomplish. I am interested in participating in this vision. And so I'd say that would, that for me has been a, over the course of two years, that was a crazy experience. Cause it wasn't just with design. It was also a deck also included like the real estate part. So like I had to figure out all of the, all the things that real estate teams needed for me to do to make their life easier, whether that was building performance out or running the gamut across different countries. So that was crazy, but you're basically put in a position where you have no other choice. And so that was like one of those experiences I think was like critical. Yeah, for sure. You can't get around just doing good work. And I think in the end, the work speaks for itself. 
when you go to new teams, I feel like, you know, you kind of feel each other out a little, but once you pull like a first deadline or something like that, like you kind of know how each other work, you work with each other. And then once that trust is established, like usually it's a really good working relationship. And actually, I think one thing I appreciated when I started working at Monograph is how working styles was really important in like being acknowledged that what is everybody's different working style. So I think like, do you like collaboration? How do you take feedback? And I would like to see that being acknowledged more in like different teamwork. Yeah, that's a really great point too. There's a great book called the High Growth Handbook. And in it, it basically, it's by this writer, Elad Gill, who interviews a lot of startup founders and startup operators, operators who would be like executives typically that work at different companies. And it's really trying to impact different parts of company building through their experiences. And one person in particular, Claire Hughes Johnson, who's the COO at Stripe, she had this amazing write-up where it was basically her talking about her operating manual. And what that means is that whenever she has a new team member on her team, she gives them this one-page document or two-page document that outlines, some people call it the manual of me. It's a really quick way to understand all the things that are typically very implicit when you join a company interpersonally it lays it bare explicitly. A lot of the on-ramping to a new company, when people come up, talk about like ramping up to like your role or something, a lot of that's actually very psychological. It's not even like the skills of the tasks. It's really like how you're in your own head, right? And so that could be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to talk to my new boss. I don't know how my boss likes to be talked to or what's important for my boss or how does my boss make decisions or or how do I communicate that to other people or my own even my own team members right how do my team members like to be talked to because that's not always the same some people are I don't think we go into the weeds in this part but I think some people are very much about even in zoom right they're like hey how's it going how's your family right how's everything right and there are some other people who are like more down to business and that's just how people like to engage right? And so being sensitive to those things are super important. But anyway, we have this document here where every new team member is encouraged to make one. I have one that I give to everybody to read. And it's essentially like all those things, how to work with George. And the idea here, and I think part of leadership too, is we're thinking about how to be a leader. If we think that leadership is about enabling other people, it's like, how do I help to remove all that stuff that might come up? Or like that you might feel like if you didn't know, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about it potentially, and it's going to slow you down because you're kind of like, you don't know if you should make a move or not. I think it's important that that level of community, that those expectations be super explicit so that you know how to move faster, right? If you don't have to worry about, you know, if I told you, if your decision costs $100, don't come to me about it. If your decision costs $1,000, don't come to me about it. If it costs $10,000, you should probably come to me about it and let's talk to see what that looks like, right? So thinking about decisions also as an order of magnitude is kind of part of the things that we're trying to communicate. And I think that's also ownership too, because that's not just me. Like I expect that of of everyone on the team to be self-aware and try to communicate those things to each other so that 
it's out there. It's it's on the table. It's not, you shouldn't be blocked by it psychologically. And I think that's also go, underscores like, I think part of being a leader is creating safe spaces for people to communicate about what they think. And that doesn't always have to be a managerial relationship. That can always be a team member relationship, right? Building trust with other people to like share your experiences. Yeah, definitely. Um, you shouldn't wait until you're in a manager or leadership position. You kind of have to take it before you get there and create that. And I think the best advice is just whatever you want, like the environment to be or the work to be, like you have to create the example by doing it yourself first. And with that, let's get to an audience question for you, George. How long did it take to start from getting the idea of architecty to actually establishing it into a stable phase? And what was the expected and unexpected difficulty throughout? Hmm. So architects, so for context, architecty is a Slack group separate from Monograph, although a lot of the founding team are part of the organizing group. So architecty actually started with two other folks here in California, Leona Huddleston and Blake Huddleston. And they I think Leona actually was started it ultimately. So they started on the West Coast. I started something separate with my best friend in New York called Built In. And that was an in-person meetup. We hit about like 1,500 people, I think, at the height of it before moving to New York. And it was a regular meetup that we, we'd throw at bars and whatnot in or do panel conversations that we works where it was uh, bringing real estate people, technology people all together. So anyway, the whole impetus of it was to be a place where folks that are interested in technology, maybe leaving the industry, could all get together and chat. And so the idea came about for built-in because we were all, both Adrian and myself and some others, we had already kind of left, we were in tech, and we just wanted to bring the conversation we were seeing in tech back into architecture to see if there could be any change. And so that was the kind of uh, seed of it. When I moved to California, to San Francisco, I connected with the architecting group and it just made sense to kind of join forces with them. They had a better name than Built-in did. And marketing is important and their name is important. And I thought that was a much, much more explicit way to say what we were trying to say. So um, that kind of happened. And then it was actually very private. The Slack group was only within the initial kind of organizing members. And then figured after seeing so many Slack communities emerge that it would just like, what if we just opened the Slack group? And kind of shared it with some of our friends. And now I think the Slack group's at 1,800 people, maybe, or 1,600 people. But it's just, if you just create a space where people can ask each other questions, share job openings, and hopefully answer each other's questions, that's kind of like how it gets to a stable phase. Was there expected or unexpected difficulties? I think the unexpected difficulties are always more in just like, we probably, if we if we set our mind to it, our ambition would probably be a lot larger than what the community is currently at. And so operationalizing the community to be even bigger than it is, is the challenge because all of us, all of the organizing team members have day jobs that are kind of absorb a lot more and other responsibilities. So I'd say a challenge would be just finding more people that want to kind of shepherd it and take it to the next level. That was a lot for that one. Yeah, it sounds great. I feel like you borrow so many insights from different industries that like, I feel like there's just like an abundance of richness there. But we also have another question. Were there any differences you noticed in taking ownership from working in architecture office versus tech company? I would say mm. 
I mean, I think the difference there is more, I don't know. I think there's actually shortcuts. I think the fastest way to get to like a principal level at an architecture firm is to just find what the problems are in how you work, playbook it in a document, and then share that document around with solutions as to how you're going to solve it. It seems like, you know, it's kind of outside the scope of billable work, but it's really the necessary work for other people to see you as a leader, right? It's things that you can argue for, and you should find places that allow you to argue that way too, if that is something that you want to do, right? It's like, I think the one limitation is that in a tech, there's no kind of preconceived ideas as to what you can do, right? Like that's very liberating. There's no pay your dues in tech. Like the pay your dues is basically like creating an idea that people love and people want. And that's it. That's the limitation. And you could be 16 years old and do that. Or you can be however old. It doesn't matter. Like that's the only criteria that really is you're kind of measured against. In architecture industry, as architects, I think there's the historical side of everything that like, because I went through it, you have to go through it as well. Like I was never given the psychological safe space to just realize that I can come up with solutions, propose them and just take ownership over them and get them done. It's been kind of more of like that whole apprentice model has not really left. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. And that said, I can give you examples of people that I know that have done this very thing at organizations that have been accepting of it and have skyrocketed in their career from entering from a as an example, very close to home from entering as a BIM manager, all the way to global head of architecture for a firm in the scope of like five years. So yes, there's other things that have to be kind of happening at the same time, going from like in maybe being in a high growth environment, but it really comes down to like, what's the existing firm leadership's perspective on it? Obviously that's always going to be a barrier, but the other side's you. Right. It's like you deciding, especially now in this environment where like there's so many job openings, like everyone is hiring. Right. And I think people are re- even those firm leaders are reconfiguring their perspectives, too, on like what great candidates mean. But I shit you not. If you go to even an interview and you flip the tables in the interview and you say, I'm not going to like, you know, you also seen this work with some friends of mine that have done it to great success. It's like you don't go to an interview and say. Hey, I'm here to, for an interview. You go before the interview, say, Hey, can I give your team a presentation? That changes the entire relationship and dynamic of an interview. You are now leading the conversation. You are not in a position to be led through an interview. That's a hack, but that's a powerful hack because then the person on the other side interviewing you is seeing you in their office space, potentially if you're in person, giving a presentation about your work potentially suit like kind of tailored towards them in some sense. And then it's basically like, oh, you've already been working here. We're in physically the space. You're presenting to us this project as if it were a new project. And it just psychologically changes and repositions you as a person. But you need to take the ownership in advance to like not see yourself as a position of like in, in a weaker position relative to what you want, what, you know, the interview. And so I think those are like, if you change that mindset and you kind of are proactive about how you want to approach a problem and identify problems, propose solutions to those problems in how a business is operated in one sense, 
I think that is going to skyrocket you immensely. Yeah, very well said, George. I agree. I think you should take the mindset that you have in a tech company where create anything, bring it to the table, make it exist and bring it to your architecture offices. Like you will probably most definitely get pushback. People like the way things have been done. But that's okay. Like if you don't find the right fit, there like George said like everyone's hiring. Like so many people are moving around and I think this in no other time more like than now is like you can really create something that you want to in your office because I think there's so much happening now that people need to innovate people need to change and like do things yeah i think like if you do get pushback with like people in your office i think and it, it's hard when you have like really heavy workloads but really going above and beyond and like solving problems that people haven't yet identified to you and creating this environment that is safe and collaborative and innovative is like really like environment that we want to exist right so i think take ownership of that create the things that you're passionate about and make everything in exist yeah this was a, a really great conversation i know we're at time now but i think we can maybe pick up on some of this next week too um mm-hmm. actually yes i think next week yeah we'll be here yeah. for the we'll next here, two yeah. weeks the last two yeah. weeks of the year yeah looking forward to that conversation as always anytime you want to just for those that are in attendance if you want to jump in during one of these and just like speak your piece, always happy to do that. I know some people kind of trickled in a little bit late, so you might not have been able to hear that, but this is a forum for everybody. We accept open questions. I know a lot of you are listening in while you're working at the office, so you might not want to jump in on some hot takes, but we're here to give them. We're here to kind of uh, shake things up. And so just know that you do have you do have options. You do have the ability to own your own career path, and you do have the ability to make substantial changes, especially in the market as hot as this one, I'd say. So find a place that suits you. would be kind of like my last piece. Definitely. Thank you, everybody. Glad to have you with us. See you next week. Thanks. Everyone. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Everyone. Bye. Hey, it's Sylvia from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. Monograph is designed for architects by architects. Over 450 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial or sign up for a demo today at monograph.com. Find out what a practice operations platform like Monograph can do for your firm. Get started at monograph.com. Talk to you soon.